So today we're going to finish up our devotions message series today. And uh, it's been a great message series. Kind of, we, we kind of came off some, a really heavy, heavy, heavy message series with Loving Logic. And now we're coming into something that feels like we got a kind of a coffee mug sitting on our back porch and enjoying the Word of God and beginning to see what that is. And ultimately, you know, our goal in this series is to help us to grow in our ability to explore and apply. Explore God's Word and apply the Word of God to our lives. And that's been the goal of this message series, that you get to see the Scriptures kind of unfold and, and explore them in a little bit different way and maybe apply them to your life and learn how to apply those Scriptures to your life. And because the Scripture is, a, is, is living, it's a living Word of God is what we call it. It is God-breathed, God-inspired Word of God. And to some people, you may read it one way, you may read it another, you may read it another. We're going to see things that are being taken out of that Scripture and that something speaks to me a little bit differently than it may speak to you. And that's okay, that's great, that's what this is all about. And you can take that same Scripture and you can read it a hundred times and every time that you read it, it may mean something a little bit different to you. There may be a word that speaks and grabs you a little bit differently. Because I love the way it says it here in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's powerful. That the scripture is there for teaching, for reproof, for correction. I mean, you know, it's there for correction. We don't like it, but the scriptures are there for a little bit of correction in our lives and we're dealing with things and we're kind of starting to get a little sidetracked. It's there for training in righteousness. That we may be complete and equipped for every good work in our lives. And as we're going through these scriptures, there's the same three questions we've been asking every week. What do I learn about God? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. What am I learning about him? What about what I learn about people, how they think, how they act, how they feel, and what does God want me to do with this scripture? What is God teaching me and trying to tell me with that scripture? And it's what we're, we're bringing to you guys. Again, you may have your, there's something else that may speak differently to you, but this is, this is what we're gathering out of these scriptures that we are reading. And today, we're going to be coming out of the book of James. Coming out of the book of James. James is a great book. I love to read James. Um, it's very short. Very straightforward, to the point, here it is, I love you. That's, that's what James is. But when we're looking at James, as we all, we've done every week, we've looked at kind of a summary of what the book is about and what's going on. And this one is taken from ESV.org. Uh, most of the time we are reading out of the ESV um, version. And um, that's where we're actually getting this summary from. It's one of those resources that we posted at the very beginning um, of our series. We put, posted up some, some resources they can use. ESV.org is one of those. And so here's what it says about the book of James. This letter was written by James, the brother of Jesus, which we find in Matthew 13 and 55. And the leader of the Jerusalem church, he was, we find in Acts 15. It was written about A.D. 40-45. So we're not too long after the death of Jesus Christ. And not too long after writing this book, James is martyred, about 20 years or so after writing this letter. And this letter was likely written to predominantly Jewish Christian house churches outside of Palestine or Palestine if you live in Texas. They say it differently. I don't know why, but they do. Um, based on its mention in the 12 tribes of the dispersion in chapter 1, verse 1. It is distinctly Jewish content, and its focus is on persecution 
and poverty. This would mean it was sent throughout most of the ancient Mediterranean world. It includes lots of instructions to believers. Lots of instructions, I said earlier. And in the instructions there, there are 108 verses found in the book of James. And 59 of those are commands. 59 of 108 are commands that James is giving them. And here's, I think, you know, he wrote this book um, to believers in time of great sorrow. He's writing this book to, to, as we just learned there, to predominantly Jewish people. And he's writing it to do with Jewish Christians. Jewish, were, Jewish people were being persecuted all the time. Persecution was hot and heavy. Things were going, being a Jew was not a, a great time or not a great place to be. You were always kind of watching your back, scared, wondering what was going on. But now you added a Jewish Christian to that mix, and persecution is just kind of ramped up just a little bit more. That persecution becomes to get ramped up even more that many lost their jobs. They lost their homes. They lost families. They lost their possessions. Everything they owned, they were losing for their faith, their faith they had in Jesus Christ. And to some extent, many lost their lives. Many began to lose their lives. But those who were survived, they were driven out to other parts of the region. With them, they were given the only hope that they had was their hope in Jesus Christ. Their hope in his salvation, their hope in his return is what they were hanging their hat on, so to speak, is what they were holding out to. And James writes to these people in encouraging them to act like God's people. He encourages them to act like God's people and to pursue holiness. So it was a book written, it was for encouragement, but it was also instruction. Again, with 59 out of 108 verses had commands, but it was also a book of encouragement to tell them, hey, listen, we got you, we're here. We're encouragement, but let me give you some instructions. Let me help you along the way. But hey, we got you. We love you. This is the promise God has. But let me help you a little bit here. So it's a very powerful book that we're looking at when we're looking at these 108 verses there. But we're going to be looking specifically today in chapter 1. We're going to look at chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and then we'll skip over into 12 and 15. And James 1, 2, and 4 are some of my favorite verses uh, in the Bible. I have a lot of different scriptures that I love, but these... These few verses are probably some of my favorite. And he says this, count it all joy, my brothers. We can stop right there and just, just like pause. Because that just puts us, anybody else smile when you read that? Anybody? No? Just me? Okay. I'll smile because I enjoy it. When it says count it all joy, I'm like, yes. When you fall into trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Perfect and complete and lacking nothing. That sounds like some stuff I need, right? I need, I need that in my life. Let's skip over to verse 12 and 15. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But when each person is tempted, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire when it is conceived births to sin, and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. Let's bow our heads and pray over the word. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is full of encouragement, is full of life, is full of instructions. 
and it's profitable for all of us for teaching and reproof and correction. Father, I pray your word would go forth today and your people be blessed and encouraged in Jesus' name. Amen. We read these scriptures. These scriptures kind of fall into this kind of almost like a roller coaster almost in this thing of talking about joy and counting it all joy, but it also brings about the truth and the reality of temptation and sin and death. And so it's kind of a, a, a light feeling type scripture, but then there's some deep theological, deep stuff that's rooted into this particular scripture. And so when we're looking at it, let's first let's ask our first question. What do we learn about God? What is it we learn about God when we're, when we're reading these scriptures? Our first one was said that God blesses those who persevere in trials and promises to crown them with life. Promises to crown them with life. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised for those who love him. That's verse 12. And blessed is here is not kind of that, it's not the, the southern you know, blessed, you know, that we kind of talk about and we write it on our T-shirts and that kind of thing. It's not just this little, you know, hey, I'm blessed. I found an extra dollar in my pocket before I took it out of the dryer. You know, it's not that kind of quick little witty blessed, I'm blessed. You know, how are you doing today? I'm blessed and highly favored. I mean, yeah, I love those things. Those things are great. But when he's talking about blessed here, he's talking a little bit far beyond earthly blessings. He's talking something far beyond all those things. He's talking about something that gets into the fruits of the Spirit kind of feel that you are blessed. There is something rooted inside of that, that you are just inherently, you are blessed. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. But he also says that he promised them the crown of life. And this promise that we talk about here in this crown of life, it comes from the Greek word Stephanos. It comes from the Greek word Stephanos, which is kind of referring to an Olympic crown given to those who have endured greatly and succeeded. It's a, it's a crown that is giving to those who have endured a great hardship and a great situation, and they have succeeded in doing so. And all throughout Scripture, we hear this metaphor of the race, this race that was so easily set before, that the race, I've run the race, I've finished the race, all these things you continue to see and hear all throughout Scripture, and yet James is using that, that same type of illustration to them. They would understand that this promise is talking about that type of reward that's giving to someone enduring the race. And it's something that God has promised to bless us, and he's promised to crown us with a crown of life for those who will persevere in trials. Number two, we learn that God does not tempt anyone. God does not tempt anyone. God is not the source of your temptation. That's, a, that's something that we, we kind of battle and we face and we're, oh, you know, we're being tempted or whatever else. But temp, temptation, if we, again, going back to the Greek, I'm starting to learn through that and, and kind of doing word studies as we're talking about how to study the word. We look at that Greek word, it paints a picture of a wild game trap. Anybody got like squirrel traps in the back of your yard somewhere or like rodent traps you're trying to catch that thing? I grew up on a farm, guys. We had those things. We had to catch these wild things that were going around. But it paints a picture of a wild game trap that has something very enticing, but yet disastrous once taken. So maybe you didn't grow up on a farm, but how many of you guys have a mousetrap? You ever seen the old school mousetraps? Those things that were just awful, just absolutely awful. I remember as a kid seeing those because, again, I grew up on a farm. 
Anytime the fields in the back of our, 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 our pasture, like behind our home, if there was corn or whatever else was behind there, when they cut that stuff down, you're going to get one. I don't care what you do. You're going to get a mouse in the house, a mice, a meese. What, what's the plural? Is it mice? Is it mice? I have to look at my wife. She's the English baby. Um, so the mice will just come out of nowhere, and you're just getting tons of mouse. Mice? I, mouse, meese, mice, I have no idea. You get tons of mice that just start to come into your home, and you're like, where did you all come from? So we have to put out mouse traps. See, I got that right that time. I had to say mice traps. We got out mouse traps. And I would watch my mom. So, you know, you see the whole, you know, Tom and Jerry's, whatever. You see them put cheese. My mom didn't use cheese. She used peanut butter. I don't know why peanut butter, but we used peanut butter. And I would watch her, and, and then my brain, like, you're, like, spreading this peanut butter, like, all over this thing. And this mouse wants it. Like, okay. But this this thing that you just stick it in the corner, hopefully you don't step on it. And then all of a sudden, this mouse is somehow going to be lured and enticed to come find this peanut butter. And then when he is lured and he finds this thing and he's, he's mesmerized by it, whap, there he goes. And then you have this squashed mouse that is awful and terrible to look at. And terrible to go out and find when you finally smelled it or whatever the case might be. I'm painting a very gruesome picture, but that's the picture that temptation is is set here. If we're looking at the Greek word of temptation, that's the picture that it gets. Something that you are lured and enticed, and when you find it, it's it. That's not God. That's not God. Do you hear me? That's, that's not God. That is not, that's not who God is, that he would lure you and entice you to something, to somehow squash you in the end. That is not the, the God that we serve. That is not the picture there. But yet in the, in the scope of all of it, we all are going to face temptation. You're going to face it. You're going to deal with it in one way, shape, or form. You're going to deal with temptation. I'm tempted to eat all day long. I love to eat. You know, I want to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. I mean, whatever the case may be. Don't ask me why that song came to my head. It was just there. I want to eat. Maybe you are, you're, I mean, we live on the coast. You're sitting there at the beach with your family, and a really beautiful-looking woman comes by. You're tempted. Your eyes are drawn. Maybe it's, it's the, the women, you get the same thing. A nice, buff guy looks over, and you look over at your husband, and you're like, eh. <laughs> you're tempted. We're tempted. Temptation is going to be there. There's, a, there's an old saying that we can't, we can't stop the birds from flying overhead, but we can't stop them from sitting in our hair and making a nest. That's temptation. We can't stop the birds, the temptation from happening. We can't stop temptation from being something that is around our lives, but we can stop that bird from making a nest and making a nest in our hair like thereof. We can stop that. Temptation itself is just is not sin. We will face temptation, and temptation is not sin. So if you're in this house today and you say, listen, Scott, I'm, I'm being tempted to do X, Y, Z. Temptation's not the sin. Don't be condemned if you're being tempted. It's part of life. But what we do with that temptation is where it, where it kind of falls into that. So that leads us right into our next question. What do I learn about people? What do I learn about people? I learn that people respond differently to trials and temptations. We respond differently 
to trials and temptations. As I just mentioned, it's not the if they will happen, it's when. It's not if they will happen, it's when. If we look at verse 2 in this scripture here, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. It's not if, it's when. When you're tempted. But when they come, when trials and temptations come, we have a choice on how that we respond. The trials that we face in life, they're going to happen. Again, all the things that we're talking about are things that are going to happen. Trials will happen. Jesus faced trials. Paul faced trials. Peter faced trials. They all said that we would have hard things that we would have to face. But none of us want to. Let's be real honest. None of us want to face hardships, right? None of us. You don't want to go through bad times in your business. You don't want to go through times with somebody, you feel like somebody's just out to get you all the time. You don't want to go through trials and temptations, but we will all go through them. But we would rather escape it. We would rather just discard it, exit, stage left, go, bye. I don't want you, forget it happened. I don't want to deal with it. We would almost tend to do anything to escape it. Talk about Peter. Peter was faced with a trial with an option, hey, do you know Jesus? And Peter said, you know what, I don't know him. Peter just blatantly lied. Hey, I don't know him. I don't know that cat. And we talk about that, and we talk about saying whatever we can do, our default in our lives is to maximize comfort and minimize pain. That's our default. That's where we're going to do. Maximize comfort, minimize pain. No one in this room says, I want to maximize pain. Give me more, please. None of us. That's not what we're facing. We are there. We maximize comfort and minimize pain. But we're going to face it. We're going to face those trials in our life. And the same thing goes to temptations. In the same way that we're trying to avoid trials, we're trying to avoid the, resp- the responsibility of giving in to temptation. And this is a tough one. Trials and temptations are, are, are different, but they, they come at us all. Trials are those tough times and tough things that you take. Temptations are things that want to some, try to lure you in and entice you. But verse 14, when it talks about temptation, it says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Each person is tempted by that. But no one can escape temptation. None of us can escape temptation. And while I can look at this a little bit differently And when we look at the scripture, but I can also look at the scriptures and see where Jesus himself was tempted. We look at Matthew 4 and 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And what was his response during temptation? His response was scripture. His response was the word of God. And temptation was never allowed to to set in, to do anything or whatever. He was a man pure and holy, spotless, without sin. But yet even he himself faced temptation. And James explains what will happen when we give in to that desire. James explains it this way in verse 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Entertaining temptation, it allows an opportunity, is what it does. If you're going to entertain temptations... If you entertain it, you play with it. Well, what if I did do, hmm, maybe. If you're even entertaining that, 
what if you've begun to entertain? Let me, let me just be very clear. When you, even if you say, what, what if I, you've already started to entertain? You've already started that process. Don't start it. But when you give opportunity that it will begin to take root and to give birth to sin, which he says here very clearly, leads to death. <clears throat> leads to death. Great theologian, a lot of great things this gentleman had to say, but he said this one thing here. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Very powerful words. Ravi had a lot of great things to say, and yet um, there's things that I'm sure he dealt with. There's some troubles and things that he had to deal with, just like all of us and all of you. We all face that. But as a part of this, 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 this scripture, as I've been reading it, he says it grows and it brings forth death. And I'd be remiss if I didn't really take this down to this little bit of a road here and say, you know, what does he mean by death here? What's he talking about? And the term there, death, is in the Greek is thanatos, or thanatos. It's the Greek word here that he's used, and it says what it means is the death of the body, that separation of the soul and the body by which life on earth is ended, with the implied idea of future misery in hell. It's a hard, hard spot. And I'd be remiss if I didn't at least tell you that, listen, guys, if we were to grab temptation and we begin to entertain that and we allow that to take root in our lives and we allow that to take root and that, that sin becomes his birth and that we continue to do that, that, that unrepentant sin in our life, that unforgiven sin, that unrepented sin, if we do not get that out of our lives, it will lead to death. It will lead to death. We can't escape that scenario and that part, and that's, that's, that's kind of taking the extreme, and I don't want to just, like, dive this message off onto the deep end, but I, can't, I have to tell you, and I have to be honest with you, I have to tell you what the Word says, and it says, listen, if you will take temptation, and you will entertain that, and you will let that thing breed and become sin, and unrepentant sin will lead to death. But I'm thankful that we have a loving Father, a loving Savior that says that there is grace, forgiveness for each of us in that. The question I would ask you today is, what has gotten further than it should be in your life? What have you allowed to go further than it needs to be? What have you allowed to kind of take root and maybe gotten a little bit too far? We need to be careful. So we know that people respond differently to these trials and temptations. The last question for us is this, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? Or in other words, how does God want me to respond to temptations and trials? What does God want me to do about the trials and temptations that I face? Number one, God wants me to resist the devil and endure temptation. Resist the devil and endure trials and temptations. We see that and we look at the scriptures that we read, verse four, verse four excuse me. He says, and let steadfastness have its full effect. Let it have its full effect. In other words, let it, content, let, it, let it continue to go through. We read in verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. God wants you to resist the devil and endure temptation. When we talk about, again, how to study our Bible, we look at cross-references. It kind of takes us over into James 4 and 7. He says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. 
resist the devil and he will flee from you. And some of you guys say, well, hey, uh, you know, that's, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. I mean, you know, I, I can't give you the, I can't tell you the exact key about how to resist, quote unquote, but I can tell you that we, it starts by not entertaining. I can tell you that it starts by not entertaining that thought, not letting that thought even start, not even begin to ask the question, not even begin to, nope, nope, don't even go there. Resist the thoughts. Resist the temptations. Resist the things that the enemy would want to try to take you down and say, well, God's tempting. No, God's not tempting. We've already been there. God doesn't tempt. Resist those thoughts and resist those things that's going on. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Again, his, his scripture is not telling us that he would say, take the temptation away. He's saying that I will give you a way of escape that you may endure it. There will be a way of escape and there will be a way to endure through the temptation. And that same endure that he's saying here in verse 13 is kind of that same endure that he's talking about in verse, um, in verse 12. When he says, for those who have stood the test, he will receive the those who remain steadfast under trial, he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. It's that same analogy of the race. Those who will endure and those who will be able to endure that and kind of continue on through that. God provides a way of escape and God wants you to continue to endure through those things that we would do th go through. Secondly, God wants me to joyfully remain steadfast in trials. He's still talking about remaining and enduring through all these things, whether it be temptations and or trials. But God wants you to joyfully go through that. God wants you to joyfully deal with that. And I, I heard a preacher once that he, he, he says, count it all joy. And so he, he took that literally. He was like, my broke bank account, one. I got a crazy wife, two. He said, I hate my job, three. He's going on and on and on. And, and he kind of puts a, a, a twist to that. And it's, you know, probably a little bit of an extreme. Sure, I get it. My wife's not crazy. Everything else may be the same there, but my wife's not crazy. I love her. But we count it all joy. And God wants you to joyfully remain steadfast in the trials. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. He's very clear. Count it joy. Count it joy because when he gets there, he says, you know, all these things are going to work itself out. All these things are going to work out to, to bring you completeness and wholeness and bring perfection in who you are. Verse 12 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. God wants us to joyfully be there and joyfully remain through that because steadfastness produces Christ-likeness. Steadfastness, if we will remain steadfast, if we will remain steady throughout those times, that will produce Christ-likeness in us. So what chapter in, in verse 2 through 4, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lack nothing. God's trying to, to mold you and shape you and, and work those things in you. And if you will begin to remain steadfast in that, if you'll stay steadfast, you will begin to produce Christ-likeness, which is part of that grow in Christ, which is our mission statement that we talk about, our mission statement of who we are, your purpose to glorify God, to grow in Christ-likeness. And to make disciples, that is what this is doing. So if you will take that trial and you will count it joy, 
And you, okay, this is an opportunity for me right here. This is an opportunity for me to grow in Christ's likeness, to be more like Christ, to be more like who he is, to learn to be better, to learn and to grow and be equipped and be perfected. Count that joy. This is an opportunity for you. It's an opportunity for you to be more and more like Christ. See, we want to be able to have a preferred outcome. That's what we want. (coughs) But what if the trial really isn't about the outcome? What if the trial that you're facing right now, maybe that text that you got on the way here or whatever it may be, what if that trial really isn't about the trial, but it's about how you walk through it? What if it's about how you walk through that, that deal? Because sometimes the greatest testimony you'll share isn't the end of the trial, but it's how you endured it. I see all over Facebook and social media, we have a lot of runners here at, at Northwood. I don't want to run to my car in the parking lot. I'm done. Like, that's, I'm out. I got shin splints before I hit the door. I'm over it. So I, when I see these people that, I, I saw Lola this week, she's, she's preparing for a marathon. 26.2 miles? 26. 26 miles, Curtis. No, I'm out. I don't want to know, like, okay, when she gets it, when she posts on social media later, which she will, this go this medal that she got that she won her division, because she will inherit, she's a beast, she's crazy. I don't want to know, I don't want to see the end. Your 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 medal looks great, Lola. I love it. Beautiful. I'm so glad that you endured that and you went through that. And I'm so glad you cho- you started over here and you chose to make this. But Lola, I want to know what happened at mile one <laughs> that made you want to keep going. I want to want to know what happened at mile seven when those when, when your feet hurt. I want to know what happened at mile thirteen when you just couldn't talk. You were so parched. I want to know what happened at mile 20 when you said, there's six more. I want to know how you made your way through that. I want to know how it is you continue to push yourself and get to the end of that race. That's what I want to know. That is what's going to encourage me. That's what's going to help me. That is what's going to bring me through. Not that that you just made it through. That's great. And I have hope and it gives me hope. But what I need to know is how you got to the end. And how you endured that. The greatest testimony that you'll share isn't the end of the trial, but it's how you endured it. It's how you endured it. I want you to pray for the outcome. I want you to pray for the, for the best result. I want you to pray for that, that wonderful outcome. But I want you to be able to remain steadfast in the middle of those trials. I want to encourage you to remain steadfast in those trials. A couple more scriptures and we're going we're gonna to close this thing up. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. He's talking here, he's talking about the whole armor of God. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day And having done all, to stand firm, to endure, to remain steadfast. Having done all else that you know to do, stand. 
remain steadfast. Endure. When you've done all else you know to do, stand. The suffering in this life is inevitable. We're going to suffer. We're going to face trials. We're going to face temptations. But suffering leads to sufficiency. Suffering will lead to sufficiency, even if only in Christ. Even if only in Christ himself. James's point is that every difficult circumstance that enters a believer's life can either strengthen him if he obeys God and remains confident in his care. That's what these people, these Jewish Christians were at. They were trying to obey God and remain confident in his care. But if not, it can become an opportunity for evil if the believer chooses instead to doubt God and disobey his word. If we choose to doubt God and disobey his word, it becomes a, a very hard place for us to do that. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Is, is, is Again, it's, it can be difficult to say and difficult to share and sometimes somewhat oversimplified with one verse that we try to, we try to give you something. But how do we do this? If we were reading in our one-year track this week, you also read Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You hear this analogy of a race continuing over and over and over? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He knew the outcome. He knew what was going to happen, that he would face the trial, that he endured that with somewhat of joy. Did he want to? No. No. He made that clear in the garden when he said, God, take this cup from me. But yet, for the joy that was set before him, he endured it. So that we might have life and life more abundantly. Trials and temptations that result from living in this fallen world produce that Christ-likeness in us begins to produce that Christ-likeness in us. And the key is that we endure. There's the key. It's endure. Endure. I love what 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Guys, we have to endure. I wish I could stand here and tell you that you won't, you won't have to do it. I wish I could tell you that it would never come, but I can't. And Scripture doesn't teach that. But it does teach us that we should count it joy and that we should endure. To count it joy and to endure that, knowing that it will create an opportunity for us to become more and more and more like Jesus. I don't know about you. I don't know. 
I want to be that person that when temptation comes, the scripture comes right immediately. Says, nope, not good. I want to be more like Christ in that. I want to be more like Christ that says, you know what, when temptation comes my way, I don't even give it a thought. I just, that scripture comes to mind. The Bible says that this, 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 this. No, that's not, we ain't going there. I want to be like Christ that when trials come my way, that I will endure that with joy. That I will endure that trial with joy and say, you know what, God? You've got something great you want for me. You have a great opportunity. I'm going to count it all joy when I fall through these trials that you are going to produce something great and wonderful in my life. That's who I want to be like. More and more like Christ. I want to encourage you today. I know there's some somber moments in this message, but I want to encourage you guys. I want to encourage you. You're facing trials. Every one of you in this room are facing trials and temptations of some sort. Whether or not today, maybe tomorrow. It may have been something that happened on the way here. It may be something that's coming up. Gosh, some of you guys may be facing some stuff with the holidays coming right around our corner. And there's some trials and there's some things that are going to be hurting. There's some hardships. There's some tough times. Maybe you got to deal with some family members. There's some stuff that may be coming just this week. I want to encourage you. Count it all joy. Endure those trials. Allow God to work inside of you. Allow God to continue to let you grow in Christ-likeness more and more like him. Amen? Let's bow our heads today. As I've said many times, I want to be clear that trials and temptations, they're hard. We're going to face them. And many of you in this room, you're facing them right now. You're facing some of those temptations and those trials right this very moment. And God's word is clear to us that he wants us to remain steadfast. He wants us to remain patient, firm, that he has made a way of escape for us, that when we endure his work, we'll be made perfect in you, perfect and complete, that you would lack nothing, that you will receive that crown of life if you will endure this race, and that we would bring him praise and glory and honor. Today, if you're in this room and you say, Scott, listen, there's some stuff I'm dealing with, man. There's some stuff I'm dealing with. I love Jesus. I've, I've, I've lived for him. I'm living for him. I've, I've given him my life. But there's some stuff I'm dealing with right now. I just want to pray for you. Father, I thank you that you are a God of love and of grace, of mercy, of joy. Father, today as, as your people are in this room, they're facing trials and temptations. And your, your word tells us that we're going to face them. You face them yourself. We're going to face those things, but God, I pray that you would help us to endure. Help us to endure. Help us to count it joy when we fall in these stations, that we would look for the opportunity to grow and to be more like you. Help us to endure and to finish this race. Help us to walk this way of joy in our lives. Today, if you're in this room and, listen, you came in this room and, and you said, listen, Scott, I just came here because I'm just looking for, I'm looking for something. I'm looking for something. I don't, uh, don't really know what to do. I'm dealing with some stuff. And you say, you, I, just, I need Jesus in my life. I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've never done that. And you've painted a picture that says that there's a God of love and of grace and mercy that, that will help me through this. 
and I need Jesus to to accept Jesus in my life. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you in this house, I would just love the opportunity to pray for you. If you would just raise your hand so I can see that hand today. Yes. Yes. Amen. Across this room, people are deciding to follow Jesus. I want you to pray with me. Pray a prayer with me or pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I love you. I thank you that you died on a cross to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and cleanse me and make me whole. Help me to endure the trials and temptations that I face in this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand with me, guys? Today's an, uh, we're going to come back and we're going to end today in worship. And today's, as, as we end, there's a moment that we just get to turn our attention and turn our focus back to Christ. We get to turn that focus to Christ in this, these next few moments. Again, there's none of you in this room that are without facing trials and temptations. None of you. None of you. We're all facing it. We're going to today, tomorrow, at some point in time, we're going to face trials and temptations. And as we sing this song, there's going to be worship lead, the worship prayer team all across the front of this building. And they want to pray for you. And I don't want you to feel con- condemnation. I don't want you to feel like you can't do it. I mean, we're all facing it, guys. We're all facing it. There's just some people that may be bold enough to say, listen, I just need somebody to pray with me about it. That's all it is. I just need somebody to pray with me about it because it's really, really tough. I'm dealing with some really tough stuff. But they're going to be here to pray with you during that time. And uh, we're going to continue to worship. We're going to ask God to help us. Because we just want to be with him, live with him, abide in him during these tough times we face. Amen? Amen. Let's worship.